There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies, For all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube, you can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Mayor Gupta, the Chief Marketing Officer at Kraken Digital Asset Exchange. Prior to joining Kraken, Mayor led a team of strategists brand marketers, and data scientists at Gannett, part of the USA Today Network. Within this role, he drove the company's transformation from a news media platform to the digital content subscription marketplace. Mayer also held key marketing leadership roles at Freshly, Spotify, HealthGrades, and Kimberly Clark, as well as Sapient Nitro. Now, Mayer's been on this show before. He was on an episode 162 when he was a CMO at Freshly. And I'm excited to talk to him again today. We talk about his path and his career, talk about his investor activity, as well as his board directorships. We talk about Kraken, the crypto exchange, and the fact that he's worked at so many different types of companies from entertainment companies and platforms like Spotify to CPG companies like Kimberly Clark, and now crypto. Now, we also have to talk about what does marketing crypto look like? What is he trying to achieve? How does he measure effectiveness of marketing, and also what's the impact of FTX and the downfall of that platform, as well as the trial of this CEO and founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. So I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my friend, Mayor Gupta. Mayor, welcome back to the show. 
Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me back. I think it's been a few years. So excited to be here. Yeah, I know it has been a while. It has been a while. But before we before we get too far into your day job, which is super exciting and interesting, we're going to talk a lot about Kraken. You're also an investor, a board director, and I'm just curious like how does that type of activity shape your view on what marketing is and should be doing? Yeah, you know, I feel one, I of course feel very fortunate to be sitting on boards of companies uh, like Atalum, for example. It's a publicly traded organization that's focused on solving healthcare workforce challenges through academia and universities and, and a number of great startups working with some incredible founders and entrepreneurs who are trying to solve different types of problems. But a couple of couple of ways. One, a lot of this is my way of fulfilling my unfulfilled desire to be an entrepreneur. I've tried it twice and failed. So uh, I realized at one point that maybe it wasn't meant to be, at least not until now. So when I had the opportunity to start uh, investing on my own or start advising, I felt that was a good way to, to fulfill that path in my career and life. But it's been, it's been tremendous. One, you get to see challenges in different businesses, different business models, different verticals, and you start to create an understanding and thesis on what business, what different businesses struggle with and how you can apply in your day job. So it, it helps tremendously. You, you sometimes see what's working in another industry and how you apply here. You see how to grow products in the zero to one stage. How do you really optimize to get to a product market fit? And or in big organization, how do you drive transformation? And I feel that there is so much to learn being on that seat from all these different organizations at different stages of their own growth trajectory and different verticals. That is tremendously helpful than to bring it back home in your day job and apply and vice versa too. I, I learned so much in my day job that I tried to play my part in my role as a, you know, as a board of director or as an advisor or investor. So it's a bi-directional force, but one that I've been very grateful for and learning and enjoying a lot. Love it. Love it. Well, um, I think the last time we talked, it was episode 162. You were at Freshly at that point in time, but I'd love to have you tell listeners a little bit about your path to becoming the CMO at Kraken because you started in the CPG world, been in technology, media, you've done a number of things. So tell us a little bit more about your path. Yes. Well, first of all, congratulations to you. I, I, I know it was 150 something. I don't know what this is now. (laughs) (laughs) You created a fantastic platform and and really given a voice to the craft of marketing and marketeers. So I really appreciate all your efforts, Alan. Uh, and I know you've been doing it uh, outside of your uh, very fun, but also equally challenging day job as well. So I appreciate you having us back and, and giving me an opportunity to talk about Kraken as well. But yeah, my journey has been, you know, it, it's been fantastic and fortunate in many ways, coincidental in many ways. Grew up in India, did my major in computer science, started my career as a pure engineer, which is the safest bet, safest way as a kid growing up there to get a job. If I had more courage, I would be playing cricket 
or trying to play cricket for the country, <laughs> but I would be one of uh, a billion kids trying to get one of the 16 spots. So I did the math and felt I didn't have that much courage to went to the safer route, but <laughs> spent the first few years writing code. And uh, there were two pivotal points in my career. You know, in, in 2006, I used to work at Sapient, which is now part of Publishers. We acquired an ad tech product. And uh, uh, one of my mentors asked me to be a product lead. So I evolved from pure engineering to building products for marketing and advertising. That was my entry into that world from a very different starting point. And it was fascinating, but I, I didn't know much at that point. And that was the time when marketing was evolving itself. It was more operating at the intersection of tech and data and you know the whole world around MarTech. I spent around 12 plus years at Sapiens to eventually then go on the brand side. And that's when I joined Kimberly Clark to head up digital and e-com transformation and marketing technology reporting into the world of the CMO. It was a fascinating transition for me, uh, 12 years on the other side of the fence, now on the brand side. And you realize that technology at the end of the day is, is a means to drive human change in human behavior and move the business forward. Whereas when you're on the other side on consulting and services, you are trained to sell technology, you know, mm-hmm. as the outcome. So fundamentally changed my perspective. And, and since then, it's been a journey of a lot of lessons learned and my share of failures. I spent a few years at Kimberly Clark, had an amazing opportunity to, to run growth. And I was a VP of growth at Spotify, one of, one of my most memorable experiences. As a CMO at Freshly, just right before we were acquired by Nestle. And I sat on the board of Gannett, the USA Today network during COVID, took on an operating role there for a couple of years to run marketing and strategy and transformation. And interestingly, during my Spotify days back in 2016, I had started getting into crypto. I had a couple of friends who were building wallets. And uh, I got really deep in it. But like some folks, I really got disappointed by 2019, came out of it. But then went back in mid-20s. So interestingly enough, Jesse Powell, who's the co-founder and ex-CEO, now he's a chairman of the board. He he and I started talking late November of 2021. And one thing led to the other. And I felt this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity uh, to work at one of the most respected loved and trusted crypto brands in the world, a brand that has stood the test of times. We just celebrated our 12th year anniversary. So one of the longest standing and largest exchanges in the world. And I felt this is a movement. And the last time something like this happened in the late 90s during the e-com boom, I had no clue where where I was and where I was going. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to miss this time, the opportunity. And I decided to jump on it. And I've loved every single day. I've loved and enjoyed both the headwinds and the tailwinds that this category brings because we are absolutely focused on the mission and bringing that financial freedom and inclusion in the world. Love it. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit more about Kraken. I mean, I, we know from your just brief description there, crypto exchange, 12 years in business, but tell me a little bit more about the scope of the business and, and who do you serve today? Yeah, so yes, we are... We are one of the largest exchanges in the world. Um, we focus on retail consumers, people like you and I. But the, the first few years, in fact, focus a lot more on what we call uh, advanced traders, you know, more professional traders who are more focused on derivatives, more innovative products within trading. And the company's reputation and 
and the foundation was laid on on security, uh, one of the best in the world, client services, and a great, just a great product experience, especially in the last three or four years. And we diversified that into retail consumer around four, four and a half years back. And we've been growing ever since on that, within that client segment. And then the third client segment is institutional clients, which obviously is a key component as, as we've been reading and, and hearing a lot in the last uh, year and a half as well. So our focus has been on continuously diversifying our core product offering. We launched our NFT marketplace in beta last year, launched it publicly this year. And as you can imagine, like any company in the category, which is still fairly new, there's a lot of innovation, a lot of evolution uh, down the pipe and coming in. But for us, it is all about staying focused on the broader mission, which is for us is driving and accelerating the adoption of crypto to bring financial inclusion and free and freedom for the world. Uh, we absolutely believe this is a revolution. Uh, and uh, for some people, it is asset diversification. For many people, it is a path to freedom. It is the path to put control back into the hands of people, uh, bring a lot more equality and equity, bring, bring access to people to financial assets and products that they would never imagine they would be able to access. So to me, it's... Um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And purely from a marketing standpoint, what's interesting is the growth that Kraken has had to become the third largest crypto exchange in the world. The first 10, 11 years pretty much happened organically, pure word of mouth, no enterprise scale marketing, at least not at a scale level, which reminds me of how Spotify grew in the first 10 years, how Google grew in the first 10 years which is a symbol of a, of a great product and proving product market fit. So for us, it was all about virality, you know, word of mouth and network effects. But we strongly believe that the next phase of growth will now be driven by marketing as a growth engine. So we are in that exciting phase and we've used last year to establish the foundation for that growth engine. And uh, we started to scale this year. And 2024 will literally be about getting into the Formula One race track. So very excited about it. I love it. I love that. So you've, I mean, with Kraken now, I mean, you're in the exchange business, the, the financial platform slash backbone to some degree. You've been in publishing, you've been in food delivery and kind of like D2C type business. You've been in the CPG business, consulting business, entertainment, if I guess is where Spotify sits, <laughs> as well as a platform in and of itself. How Given you've worked at all these different types of companies, how do you think broadly about the job marketing needs to do? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because across those different verticals that I've had the opportunity to work, these are also different sizes. Like Emily Clark is a Fortune 100. Spotify is, is one of the most loved and fastest growing brands in the last 15 years or so. Freshly was a, a startup getting big. Um, the net was a very 100-year-old traditional brand and business trying to transform itself. Interestingly enough, the challenges and the opportunities are still very consistent. It's all about velocity of decision-making, who can get better there. It's all about who can truly, in reality and in execution, put the client or the customer at the center and really understand the customer, the why, what, and how. So a lot of those things are very consistent despite all the changes on this, all the differences on the surface. But purely from a marketing standpoint, I feel in many ways, the outcomes of marketing 
are also very consistent. And to me, that is very simple. Um, three flywheels that I hold marketing accountable for. One is growing your brand, which ultimately creates new demand. So it's demand creation. Growing your user base or acquiring your user base, the demand that you have on the table. So capturing that demand. And then third is growing the user value, which is how do you drive incremental value to that to the customer that inspires them to come back one more time and one more time, which ultimately is maximizing the lifetime value, maximizing retention, which is retaining demand. So in other words, I very simply define the scope and purpose of marketing as create new demand, capture the demand, and do everything you can to retain it. And um, in all kinds of businesses, you if you're able to prove that, if you're able to prove the incrementality of marketing, you are probably earning the right to come back the next day. Now, I do believe that as marketers and CMOs, we all have to fight a bit hard to earn the right to be back at the table and, and that chair every day, only because the craft of marketing is in this very transitional phase of proving itself in, in a world where a lot of the growth now gets driven by the product itself, you know, at least products that have network effects and virality baked in. So how do you prove incrementality of marketing? How do you show that what percentage of growth would not have happened in the absence of marketing? Proving that marketing, whether that is investing in brand or performance, why that is so critical to long-term sustainable growth. So how do you think about the life stage or business model and its impact on, on marketing as well? Yeah, it's, I, I think those two dimensions, life stages and business models have a big impact on the nature of marketing or the levels of marketing that are relevant. For example, see the traditional CPG model, which is still retail-based and not direct-to-consumer, brand still plays a massive role because you don't have choice, right? You're not engaging directly. Right. You have very little data and uh, you're leaning heavily on incredible, honest, soul-based, purpose-driven marketing, hoping people would love it, feel connected, go to the shelf and buy your product. And mm -hmm. it works great. That's why in a lot of those businesses, brand marketers, brand managers, they want the P&L. Right? That's a product in a way. Whereas if you go to, let's say now, uh, a close adjacent to that is direct-to-consumer products and uh, DTC companies. That's where you start to bring more performance marketing. And if you are just starting a direct-to-consumer business, you're perhaps spending 95% of your energy on performance because you are trying to prove and optimize your CAC. You're hoping that you can create a great product and a product experience to maximize LTV and you're focused hopefully on CAC to LTV and not just CAC. So the shift shifts towards performance, but all those direct-to-consumer businesses in the last 15 years have probably learned because they, these businesses ignored brand because mm -hmm. uh, we all depended, we all successfully enjoyed the leverage of social platforms that gave us access to 2 billion people. And we kept optimizing for CAC and we grew, but we finally realized that if you didn't invest in brand, there was very little differentiating you because every category was getting saturated and the CAC was going higher because everybody was overspending. And because customers have so many options, retention and lifetime value became challenging. So it almost, the unit economics became harder in that business. Mm -hmm. So I think most of the direct-to-consumer businesses have now realized that the choice between performance and brand is not really a choice. It's not an or game, it's an and game. And you have to strike that balance, your own balance, whatever that may be.
The third pillar, which is very, very interesting, or the third adjacent in the business model, I would say, is, is truly product-led companies now, which are technology-driven, where the product itself, in many ways, is your primary marketing channel. These are the Spotify's, the Krakens, the Ubers, the Googles back in the day, where you know marketing didn't need to exist in the first 10 years until you hit a billion in revenue or XYZ. And interestingly, that's where marketing and marketeers parachute themselves in the next phase of growth. Mm. Where the challenge for marketing is very different. It is not about performance or brand. It is about proving why you should exist because all the growth and all the success had happened in the absence of marketing. So you ought to start by first aligning on the definition of success for marketing in a place like that and figuring out ways to prove incrementality on the get-go. So very different challenge from a CPG, very different challenge from from a direct-to-consumer. And maybe for the next time, you can now bring B2B SaaS platforms and how they... But the bottom line is, looking at all of this, the challenges for marketing are unique in many ways based on the business model, different types, but they are challenges regardless because it's a craft that has disrupted itself and evolved the most within the C-suite in the last 15 or years. Where so as you think about Kraken and the business there, like where are you guys in this on this journey and, and the role of marketing? Yeah, we we are in a in a pretty thankfully amazing spot because we, we do fall under that third category where mm-hmm. a lot of growth for Kraken in the first 10 years happened on the on the on the basis of a fantastic product, great brand credibility that was built because of the experiences we delivered and our actions that stood behind the cryptos ethos and obviously the culture and the values that were laid down by our co-founders. So we are in that cohort where scaled enterprise marketing has been planted and established at this stage, the the second stage of our growth. And um, what is exciting is that Jesse Powell, who who is now the chairman of our board, and, uh, and Dave Ripley, who's now our CEO, they're both believers in the craft of marketing, both in brand, which is investment for the mid to longer term to create future demand in a category, by the way, that doesn't exist. So we are very conscious about the fact that people around the world aren't just waking up thinking, oh, I'm going to move my assets away from a bank and self-custody it, which means that we also have to build the category while we strengthen and build our brand, as well as investing in performance and growth strategies and and retention strategies to to capture as much demand and market share as we can. So where we are right now is we've used last year to lay down that foundation for enterprise scale marketing. We've had some strong results for us this year. We've just launched our consumer campaign in US and UK last week. We've got some very strong early signals. It's all about see what crypto can be as an example of Kraken showing up on the global stage. We've seen some tremendous results from our performance efforts and, and growth efforts. So I feel very fortunate in, in all the backing that we've had. And there's a lot of excitement within Kraken and we are pumped about going into next year. I love- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And you guys, I mean, you're truly global. Do you have, do you think about the world equally as it relates to how you're, you're planning your marketing efforts, et cetera? Yes, we, we truly are global. In fact, uh, pure based on volume, Europe is a much bigger region for us than, than the U.S. There are some regions where, where we are going to hopefully scale as, as things evolve. But yes, we are, we are thinking about marketing from a global perspective. A lot of our workforce is outside of the U.S. We are evolving our playbook within marketing and thinking about how do we now evolve and diversify the nucleus to operate in a multilingual ecosystem? How do we bring a set of partners that can expand globally? Also, how do we create a rhythm where you adopt and adapt, right? Because there are so many cultural differences. There are so many economic and infrastructure differences where what drives somebody to crypto in a developing country is very, very different than the motivations and drivers in a developed country or an underdeveloped country. So we have to we have to build the muscle to, to really respect and empathize and understand the challenges of, of our audiences based on where we are operating. But that's the remit. And um, the good news is that as an organization, we are remote first, which is living the ethos of crypto, uh, the decentralized ethos of crypto, uh, Krakenites, around the world are operating in 70 different markets. So we, are, uh, we bring a lot of diverse opinions and perspectives into the workforce. I love the, I love the, the name, Krakenites, too. That's, uh, it's uh, quite a description. <laughs> yes. um, you talked about the notion of brand. You talked about where you guys and performance and the, and the stages of different companies and different company types. But you guys are venturing more into marketing now as you're, you know, going to that next level of scale and, and trying to grow the business. How does measure, measurement and uh, attribution and just making the case, frankly, for marketing and the impact that you're having, how does that take shape? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a million or multi-million dollar question. <laughs> Maybe a billion dollar question. Yeah, We're going to go sell it. Yeah, That's <laughs> for, uh, for every organization. I feel, but it's a, it's a question that is critical for marketing to continue to invest. Ultimately, having the ability to prove the incrementality of marketing, right? And the way we think about it is, is a combination of um, directly attributed results and, and KPIs and, or some proxy KPIs. But if you think about it, there are um, three or four different challenges that exist, Alan. 
And the way we are addressing that at Kraken is one, we are working a lot on proving the incrementality of brand spend, which is one of the most obvious questions that everybody has is we all believe that we have to keep investing in brand, but how do you prove the ROI? So we believe, we absolutely believe in that investment, especially because you're building a whole category and you're not going to win that race if you only invest in very lower funnel former driven action, former driven type of marketing, which existed in crypto two or three years back. So the way we are proving that is through implementing MMM models. We are doing match market tests. We are doing brand lift studies and um, a lot of A-B testing as well. And we're seeing some very strong results. Uh, We're bringing a right set of partners. We have created a good rhythm to have a brand tracker. Uh, We are seeing lift in brand KPIs, but then also correlating the lift in those KPIs to downstream growth KPIs as well. So how is the lift in brand awareness and familiarity, for example, eventually impacting our CAC or eventually impacting our retention and engagement levels. But we also we also are are looking at proxy KPIs that don't wait even eight to twelve weeks. So if there is brand investment being made, are we seeing a lift in our site traffic? Are we seeing a lift in branded search? Uh, or organic search for that matter? Are we seeing different behaviors in app installs? So the key is, at the end of the day, brand and marketing, no, you just no longer have the runway to wait for six months to do a brand study and go back to the CFO or the CEO to say, hey, it worked or it didn't work. Mm. You have to identify faster moving needles and use those as proxy signals to keep going or, or pivot. And then you need to have more correlation, if not causation, between brand and performance KPI. So a lot of focus for us is going there. And like I said, we've, we are using some industry standard methodologies now at scale to, to prove a lot of the incrementality. Interesting. Well, and I, I have seen some very interesting new use cases, I guess, for the marketing mix models and, and new versions of marketing mix models. So I was happy to hear you say that as well. They kind of fell out of out of uh, favor, I think, as the rise of performance marketing took off. But now that it's harder and harder to track performance marketing, they've come back, which is which is awesome. It is crazy, right? I think, uh, yeah. thankfully, in the last, uh, well, I think especially after the iOS 14 changes, I think it's brought back the the focus, and and uh, uh, I am closely, uh, interestingly, I'm an investor and advisor to a couple of very different ideas that are trying to solve that problem because it is such a huge gap still, even after 15 years of talking about measurability and incrementality and attribution and MTAs, we are still at it trying to solve it. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I talked, I mean, I obviously talked to a lot of folks like yourself, but I think the more I talk about it, the more I think we have to almost get over ourselves a little bit and this notion of precision outweighing decision making (laughs) yeah Uh, because you you don't always need the precision to make a decision Um, that is such a great point and in fact one of our core values at kraken is is the velocity of decision making and one of the things we challenge ourselves which we may not have always done in the past but we challenge ourselves to to make decisions with 65 percent 70% 70% information and 30% belief in gut. And especially if there are decisions that are reversible, right? If there are decisions that are irreversible, you ought to spend longer to get that belief. But, but you, absolutely, you absolutely have to build a muscle where 
you are not looking for perfection. You're not looking to answer all questions before you move forward. And it's more relevant in marketing because I've seen sometimes we tend to over-engineer trying to figure out $10 where, and ignoring the $90 that you spend, which is very <laughs> clear path, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Well, this would not be a question or an interview related to a crypto company if I did not ask the next question on my list. I have to know, how does the, the FTX downfall and, and now the current trial of the former CEO and founder, Sam Bankman fried how does that impact your category and, frankly, marketing too? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, for us, it's very important to remember above all, which is... It's not, it's crypto itself is not on trial here, right? It's uh, crypto is a real technology. It's a revolution that solves real human global needs. It was here long before the rise and fall of uh, SBF or FTX and, and its, its impact will long uh, succeed this event. And uh, I, I personally feel, and as back as well, that, the FTX downfall was purely a business failure that involved a dysfunctional company run by a deeply flawed individual, which, which can happen in any category. By no means changes the mission, the purpose, the, the impetus, the innovation that is going into crypto as a category itself. And I think players like Kraken and hopefully others too will continue to ride forward. And uh, we will continue to bring the focus in fact, shift the focus from pure technology to, to value. I think that's the evolution. Uh, that's the evolution that we are, we are right to the cross for because when the conversation shifts from pure technology to value, I think that's a cross of global adoption because you no longer care about what's within your iPhone or what was within the Uber app because the value of that innovation is so obvious to you that you, you start to drive adoption and habit creation. So I feel that all of that is going to happen with this next wave of crypto adoption. And blips like, like the FTX scenario is, is very unfortunate, but it, doesn't, it is not a reflection of crypto as a category. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. And I like how you put it. It's, crypto is not on trial here, the business it was operating is and uh and it was a business failure so i, I think that's a really good well but to your, i didn't answer your question alan though what is marketing's role because that is one of the things that we hold ourselves yeah. accountable for in fact i think marketing's role in crypto at this stage of crypto adoption anyways especially sorry especially with what marketing turned out to be two years back or so during the last bull run, which was all about FOMO, anxiety, get rich quick. I think mm. what we believe marketing ought to do is bring a lot more empathy, bring a lot more focus on the substance of crypto and not just the surface of the volatility through education. So how do you bring the next wave of crypto adopters into the ecosystem by being a companion, being a Sherpa, getting them access to understanding the depths of crypto how a Bitcoin is so different from ETH or Ethereum uh, and, and what is blockchain? Why should it or how is it meant to solve accessibility problems across the world? And um, so how do we educate users and, and then get them to try something is going to be super critical and talk to them in a language that is relevant to them 
versus talking to them using taxonomy that is so insular to, to a few. So for us, that's the mission that we are on. That was the thesis of our global campaign that we launched last week to focusing a lot more on the application and the use cases of crypto, both for today and tomorrow, and bringing a lot more penetration into the core values and substance and not just the surface. I love it. Well, we'll we'll have to have you back on as this market develops, as as your business develops. We'll have to track track this forward. Um, it's it's a fascinating category and so much happening in it. I'm hopeful that we can achieve your vision too of the financial inclusiveness and, and freedom that it provides for people. That'll be great. Well, um, one thing, as you know, we like to do on the show because uh, you've been on before, is to get to know you a little bit better behind the. Business, business topics and marketing topics we cover. I want to ask you a question. I love asking everybody that comes on. And, and you know, as you think back about the things that have happened in your life, is, is, are there any experiences that come to mind that define or kind of make up who you are in, in this stage of your life today? <laughs> <laughs> there, there, are, there are so many. But I think the, the one thing in my life that's totally changed me, Alan, it's my Buddhist philosophy. Uh, I practice Nichiren Buddhism. My wife introduced me to it uh, back in um, 2005. I really got into it in 2000, 2008. And uh, it's the backbone of my life. It's how I lead my life every day. It's a practice. Uh, it's a philosophy of cause and effect, which means that everything that happens in my life, professionally, personally, in any sphere of my life, it is a manifestation of my actions in the past. And my future is a manifestation of my actions today. And the way it helps me translate at work is no matter what happens at work, good, bad, or ugly, at the end of the day, it teaches you to take full accountability for it. But it also teaches you that while you face these challenges, which we all do in our work life, right? Especially I'm talking about work life because that's where the gods come down or the gods go up. And, mm. and that's where we're all fighting and competing and, and running. On good days, just racing against our own self. On some bad days, racing against somebody. You know, up until you realize the only race you're in is against your own self. Mm-hmm. But, but this philosophy has tremendously helped me to learn about leadership, to learn about the fact that in every situation, while on the surface it may seem like somebody else is wrong, there's always something that you could have done better. And I've applied that when I was fired. I've applied that when I was promoted, when I got a great career-defining job in every circumstance. So that's totally shaped me as an individual. And, and uh, it's a lifelong philosophy that you practice in the last breath you have. And I would not be here professionally or personally if it hadn't been about this philosophy and my mentor, Daisaku Keda, from whom I learn every day. I, it's a a beautiful aspect of you, and and every time we talk, and and we can't see each other right now, but every time we we do talk and we see each other, um, there it it comes through uh, your presence, your um, demeanor, your appreciation for what's going on in the moment. Um, it's not lost on me either. Yeah, I can I can feel it. Um, so keep it up. <laughs> maybe maybe it will rub off on me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh we can do one episode just talking about life i'm sure we both will have tons and tons to share and our, our failures and successes 
Well, if you were starting this path all over again, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, yeah, so many. I've, I've looked back and and wondered, oh, wow, what was I thinking back then? <laughs> but uh, I think that if I have to choose one, I would say it is just finding appreciation and joy in those moments of failure and downfall, just as much as you find appreciation and joy in those moments of successes. Because um, it took me a while to understand that, again, I'll stick to our professional career, but it applies to life as well in general. It's a a long journey. It's a journey. It's not a sprint, right? So in that moment, it feels the end of the world. You know, you lose a job or you don't get your dream job or back at Sapient, you know, where I spent 12 plus years, I remember there was a moment when I finished this great project on the West Coast with Kaiser Permanente. And I went back and I was asked, given this beautiful opportunity to work in L&D, it's like our internal advanced tech team that you build stuff and you train the next, the next layer of engineers. And I felt, oh my God, you know, what a waste of time. I want to work on solving real problems. And I created a lot of noise about it. For, I, I was only meant to be there for three months, but I created so much noise. I felt my career was coming to an end. And advice I got from one of my mentors was exactly this, which I finally understood that you know, these are very small blips in your career, in your life. And uh, it is very important to find joy in doing, in doing each one of these. And the moment we figure out a way to find joy in those tough moments, everything feels phenomenal. It's easier said than done. Uh, so even if in that moment you struggle, when you go back and sleep at night, somewhere you can say, wow, you know what? I'm so fortunate to even fighting to be even fighting this battle, you know, and uh, <laughs> the next day would be fantastic. <laughs> I love it. That is great advice. Well, is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about right now, or maybe it's something you're trying to learn more about yourself? Yeah, it is. I think it is about relevance, right? I think marketing is at a very interesting point as a craft and as marketers, it's the ball is in our court to prove marketing's relevance to bring as much creativity in data as we need to bring data in our creative thinking. And uh, look, the world of um, the, the entire world is evolving where product and marketing are getting more and more intertwined, right? And many product led or, you know, product driven founders are building products in such a way that products have inbuilt flywheels. They have a network effects baked in. I've always been a believer that product should be uh, one of your strongest marketing channels. And in a world like that, as marketers, we then have to become the strongest proponents of product. We have to understand the depths of our core product. We have to figure out how do we work with product engineering data? How do we master those areas? It's not an easy craft. And uh, in order to be relevant, we really have to become multifaceted and prove, at the end of the day, prove the incrementality of marketing. Well, are there any trends or subcultures that you follow or you think others should take notice of? Well, right now, obviously, AI is a huge conversation. Um, I think it'll have massive implications in in the time to come. But that is is one area uh, which everyone's testing and experimenting with. Like we were just talking there's a whole new wave and awareness for measurability and proving attribution, uh, new wave of products that are proving MMM 
or new way of thinking, marketing, mixed modeling, and and control tests, and so on, experimentation. And there's an underlying wave within marketing, which I think is fantastic to see that post this era of pure performance, pure growth for kind of 10, 12 years since 2007 till 2020, until COVID really, what I'm really enjoying is there is a whole new wave of marketing again, which is showing the the cross amplification of brand driving growth and, and performance and performance building brands, where we are all trying to finally agree that it's not an either or, it's an and. And we are using our own way to prove it both ways. And I think that undercurrent, that brand is performance and performance is brand, to me is, is the strongest evolution for marketing at least over the next four to five years. Because if you can prove that, then this whole challenge on not wanting to invest in building iconic, resilient, purpose-driven brands, that will go away. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. 100% agree. And I'm excited about the, the shift as well. Well, last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? It is, I think, two things. It's the inability to prove the incrementality, like I said before. I think that's the single biggest challenge. And the second is, or maybe I'll say three. So first is that. Second is trying to choose between brand and performance versus investing a lot more energy to prove why it's not an either or and, and show how both are, both amplify each other. And third is the inability to leverage technology to create better experiences. And by technology, I'm, I'm including data as well. So how do you become data informed and not data dependent? How do you become technology enabled and not technology dependent, which includes AI, but ultimately to create experiences that will influence and inspire human behavior to drive adoption, to drive change. So I think, uh, I think those are the three which I feel are quintessential. And underneath all of that will always be for marketers to stand behind the purpose and the mission, to be the protagonist internally within your organization, to stand, to stand for it, to stand for what's relevant to the customer and to who you are and why you exist, which is your purpose. Well, Mayor, it's always a pleasure to have you come on the show. You're always invited. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. This was, this was great and we're very excited to be here. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.